Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, coming to you live or recorded from River Road Studios in Eugene, Oregon. Today's show is made possible uh, by Sue, Candace, and myself, and all the other things that we do when we're not recording the podcast or Candace and Sue are writing articles. So, Sue, what do you do when you're not? When I'm not, when I'm not here? When you're not um, here. Uh, well, I have a couple things that I, I like doing. One is every Sunday I do the Occupy Medical Clinic and that's that little 501c3 that I'm a part of. And it's a free integrated health. I think is probably a misnomer. It's a giant, it's giant. like, um, I, yeah, actually I uh, had a growing. couple people from the, um, oh gosh, what is it? Herbalists Without Borders come and take mm-hmm. a tour on Saturday and they walked through the clinic and I said, oh, and I want to show you the other part of the clinic where we have the hospitality and they walked through that. And then I said, oh, and you know, I'm not showing this to you, but we also have you know, Patty Leahy, who yeah. she's in charge of wildcrafting. So she takes people out and yep. get all of these things filled via her expertise. And, oh, and I haven't talked to you about this, but we also have a Wednesday clinic. Oh, and I yeah. haven't talked to you about it. It just went Your on and on little is actually on. like a middle schooler. It's, it's giant. Like a, it's a, just, a pre-adolescent Yeah, size. it's just huge. And yeah. it's just, just roping in the donations and talking to all the donors and mm-hmm. going under the bridges and talking to the people that need to be served there. And, you know, the, when we had the flooding here doing the river rescues and just, it just goes on and on and on and on. So that's, that's one of the things I do. And I have a Patreon campaign going that if people want to support me as that type of a community um, herbalist, then they can, that's part of um, support helping the folks around here. And I like being a good role model for, um, this is a job that is really important for every community. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, we should have at least one, if not a couple of us running around with our little Robin Hood hats on, <laughs> right. but there, there, there ain't no money in it. So that's why we put the, put the green cross. Yeah. Well, which means something different these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's green why we cross, put our right. big yeah. co-opted it. Co-opted yes. It, yes. Uh, but yeah. Um, and people can also check out if they're interested the uh, my herbal consulting business. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's yeah. And a, you do house calls with that, right? Yep, I do house and calls distance. with that. Yep, you do distance I've done calls. distances one too, and that's uh, Sierra Lupe Herbal Consulting at Gmail dot com. If people want to contact me about that, but that's that's kind of part of my wacky wacky life. What about you? What do, you do? <laughs> what do I do? I have been recently thinking about what it is that I really do. You know, what what is like the glue that holds everything together. And I realized because I've, I've been really drawn toward helping people grow their businesses. And I've noticed that really, for me, it's all about helping people grow and helping people transform, mm. whether it's transforming their lives with plants, which I do through my consulting business, um, Get Healthy Now, or whether it's working with... Right now, where Patrick and I are transforming hunter creation into mud paw design house, and my vision for that is creating it as a business that brings in people a lot of people of varying you know ranges and experiences, but especially I want to focus on new designers, new people who are new to the design field, mm. give them a place where they can really learn how to serve clients well and move in the corporate world well and professionally. And then at the same time, we can, we as a company can serve the many, many, many entrepreneurs and small to mid-sized businesses. Mm-hmm. Our particular city has an awful lot of people who start up businesses. Boy, that's for sure. Yeah. A lot. And, and they don't have a good solid foundation. They don't have the broad spectrum for that. They just have yeah. this, I want to do this. Like, well. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And there's a lot of pieces that go into building a really good, strong business. And I found myself more and more drawn toward helping people find that financial growth and that financial solidity for themselves, Mm -hmm. making their own lives better and the lives of the people that they can serve through their products and services. So, you know, I've been doing that and it's partly grown from working in BNI and being, I'm the vice president of our chapter right now. Mm -hmm. And as a part of doing that, I've reconnected with the part of myself that used to do business coaching Mm -hmm. and and working on business growth and all of that kind of stuff. And I've realized that, well, parenting didn't require that part of me and it was Mm -hmm. fine for it to rest. I don't need to actively parent the way I once did. And and my son's, Mm -hmm. you know, he's 
he's a teenager. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's tall be, and gangly. and yep, Yeah, yep. he's going to be hitting the road, seeking his fortune soon enough. Sure. So while I'm, I'm in this transitional space, so I've been, you know, making a lot of changes with that. So, yeah. Wow. So what I do is work on growth. Nice. Good for you. Yes. And today, today, in fact, one of the things that I was doing was listening to the Herbal Entrepreneur Conference that um, Maria Noel Groves actually was speaking in that. She was talking about Ooh. what are some of the basic things you need to start an herbal business. Oh, yeah. Wow. There's like, they, they had a really nice selection of folks. Uh, Guido Masse is another one that's, I'm, I've got the link, but Candace, are you name dropping? Name dropper. But, but he's a really good one. <laughs> There's is. like, and then they, um, I forgot the name of the woman who runs the director, the educational director at the Herbal Academy. Um, she was another one that was speaking and she was really good. Hmm. We'll think so, of it. We'll think of it later. Yeah. So it's, it was exciting for me because it's partly like tapping into that idea of business growth and herbalists. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see more. I would love it if herbalists, if I could help herbalists grow their business. Right. So, yeah. So that's what I do. Nice. Patrick. I keep the furnaces growing. The, I'm the one the pounding. I'm the one that pounding the anvil, if you will, or, turn, or pounding turn, the pixels. The, so, yeah, the master behind Hunter Creation right. and Mudpaw Design House. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I do all of the 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 design and technical part of of the job, and up to just recently, it was all about uh, that, and then trying to figure out the plan for the business, and I just couldn't do it. I can't pop my head up enough to see the distance, the horizon, right. the direction. Yeah. I'm always in the forest. Yes. Right? Oh, I get it. Right. So <laughs> I, I, that's when I, I talked to Candace at the time and I said, are you, you know, I know you are not happy doing some of the things you're doing. What about if you had this ability to direct and be above the trees mm-hmm. and, and kind of give us a, a, a focus? Because I can be in there doing it, but I, I can't visualize anymore. I don't have time. Yeah. To, and I like starting businesses. It's one of my little side hobbies is I always mm. see the, ooh, that could be business. Ah, yes, I've seen you do that. <laughs> right, right. Ooh, hey, that, that could be business. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, some work, some don't. I mean, they, you know, a true entrepreneur will fail 90% of the time, mm-hmm. uh, but they only need one, you know. And uh, Ace High has, has been a real good success, and we haven't really worked very hard to market that, and that's the apparel business. And uh, owning that with my son um, has given him some tools that, I never would have been able to just teach him. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to put his know. hands on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, has mm-hmm. his own pride with it, his own uh, abilities. And like, you know, we just recently did an order where I didn't do a thing. I mean, I did a thing. I got the job. I quoted the job. Uh-huh. I got the artwork. I did all this stuff. But after the shirts came and the ink came, I didn't do a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did all the work. He did his all the shipping. The he did all the packing. Yeah. He got everything ready. And when he said it was done, I didn't go through any of the boxes to count them. I didn't check it. I said, okay, I'll bring it to the customer. Nice. So, well, I've seen the products that yeah. Ishai has put out, and they're very impressive. It's, but you guys have these fancy machines, so that <laughs> certainly helps too. <laughs> well, you know, you're not going to do it with an iron. I mean, no, that's, you're you know, not. No. The funny thing is, when you talk to people, they're like, "Oh, isn't that just with iron?" I'm like, well, no, that, that's going to come it's off. It's an industrial right. iron. Yes, yeah. it is. It's really, really, really hot. And it's giant really, really heavy. Industrial yeah, so, iron. Uh, yeah. But you know, those are the things that that I do. You know, that allow me. To take the time in the week to do, you know, to do, to do uh, real herbalism radio and manage the website for the practical herbalist. Mm-hmm. And it's not always a, as uh, up to snuff as I'd like it to be, but it's it's where I can have it at the moment. So mm-hmm. that's what I do. Uh-huh. See, so it's kind of funny because we do all these things. So the practical herbalist and real real herbalism radio is kind of like our. The, you know, the, the term today is the sideline business. You oh, know? <laughs> sideline. Okay. But so the amount of hours that we put into this thing, I don't know that you can sometimes call it a sideline business. Right. And, the, and it's connected to so many of the other stuff I know that I do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I am at the clinic, I think about, oh, I just wrote an article about this plant. That would be so helpful for this patient. Or, you know, yeah. for the Herbal Nerd Society or things like that. All of that stuff. Or I've referred people. There, What you need is to go on to the Practical Herbalist website and here's the recipe. Download it. Use it. This is what this this is your deal. And, yeah. Oh, yay. Oh, and I can't even tell you how many it. people have asked me about the dog food recipe. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, go to the Practical Herbalist. It's right there. Free. Yep. Get it. Just, it is super just easy. Use it. <laughs> yeah. That's all I can do. Use your work to do good in the world. That was the inspiration 
that guided at least one plant expert to walk the path of medical marijuana. Today we're talking with Dr. Rachna Patel, the CBD expert and doctor of osteo- osteopathy, about the myths and facts around cannabis. Now here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Radio. Today we have a real treat with today for our for you guys for our listeners we get to talk to Dr. Rachna Patel. Yes, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to have you here in part because we've never had a doctor of osteopathy before. Right, that's true. You are our very first DO. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's exciting. That is. And you're going to have to explain again to me the difference between an MD and a DO. Sure. So basically, there are two tracks to becoming a physician in the United States. You can go to an osteopathic medical school or you can go to an allopathic medical school. The allopathic medical schools administer the MD degree and the osteopathic medical schools administer the DO degree. Now, the main difference is that uh, osteopathic graduates learn osteopathy. Basically, the, the, the philosophy behind osteopathy is that the body is a unit. So oftentimes physicians treat organs, right? Mm-hmm. But the belief is, is that our muscles, muscular system and our skeletal system can be adjusted to help uh, the organs that are having difficulty. So we learn uh, what's called OMM, osteopathic uh, 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 medical manipulation. So you can prescribe, right? Yeah, can prescribe. Um uh, and um, uh, can can do all the other things that an allopathic physician can do. But in addition, we learn this other skill as well. That nice. is just like so cool to me. I love that. What on earth brought you to that? Because I mean, so many people go to MD. What what caused you to choose this method or this path? You know, um, when I went to. Uh, the medical school to go visit. I had applied to a bunch of different medical schools, but I went to one, but when I went to this particular medical school in California, Torrey university college of osteopathic medicine, what I loved about it is that people came in with all sorts of different backgrounds. You know, they, they had background in acupuncture and acupressure, uh, in massage. And it just seemed like that was, um, a, a, a good, uh, background, you know, to, to be surrounded by uh, medicine is just not allopathic medicine, right? There, there's so much more to it. There's different types of medicine. And so that's what I liked about it, that I wouldn't just learn osteopathic medicine. Um, but I'd also learn about all these other things through other people's experiences as well. And that's what drew me to it. Nice. I love that. So I'm guessing that osteopathy, it was not like you didn't go to a DO growing up as a kid. You probably went. No, to- I didn't really know the difference growing growing up. I really came to learn of the difference um, in college. I would say. Nice. Well, I'm I'm glad that you're in it. So, is it unusual to have deals? Are you guys in the minority as far as practitioners? Yeah. There are more um, allopathic medical schools than there are osteopathic medical schools, and so just by by, um, you know, the number of graduate, the number of schools, um, there's a sort of a disproportionate number of, um, uh, of graduates coming from allopathic medical schools versus osteopathic medical schools. So when I go to my massage therapist who happens, he happens to really like to learn a lot of different techniques and stuff. One of the techniques he does is he tests to see the rhythm of like your different organs, like my liver for me was one that often doesn't, it doesn't move as much as it should or as wide a range. So then he has this like series of physical manipulations he does to get it moving more. Is that the kind of stuff that you're doing? Yes. I love it. I absolutely love that. Yeah. And it's it's incredible because, because, you know, say you have a headache, a slight manipulation can completely relieve the headache. Totally. Um, and you know, so so, and and what's what's the most common complaint that that we as physicians get? We get pain. Uh, and a lot of that pain can be due to to muscular pain or due to skeletal pain. Um, and with proper manipulation, it can be eased without having to use um, a medication. 
for it or, or, you know, in the extreme of cases having to do surgery where, you know, it, it gets so bad that, um, it gets so chronic that, you know, you, you have to end up doing surgery. You know, this, this is sort of like, uh, almost a preventative measure from, from getting, getting it, preventing it from getting really, really bad. So do you work with occupational therapists in order to help the patient so they don't keep repeating whatever it is they're doing to to get in that spot in the first place? Um, there wasn't much work that we did with occupational therapists, no. Um, so, I mean, we, we learned to basically, um, uh, you know, just use the, the skills of the, of the manipulation to, to help the patient. Um, I mean, you know, there is also a focus on, on, you know, taking into consideration when you're treating a patient, their, their, their socioeconomic, um, uh, uh situation mm-hmm. and, you know, their community, because all of that has an impact, right? You can, yeah, you know, as a doctor, you can prescribe a medication, but there's so much more that goes on behind that, right? It could yeah. be cultural. It could be, it could be financial, you know, it could be, you know, um, a religious, um, so, so all of those factors need to be taken into consideration. So that was really emphasized in, in osteopathic medical school as well, where you really need to take these other factors into consideration. Mm. Well, I'm really glad you do that. I, I work in a free clinic, so we see a lot of people that are medically indigent, obviously, and many of the things that would fix them is, you know, I'm, I, as an herbalist, I'm working with the doctors and giving them herbs and other options, but they just need to have a rough you know, they just need yeah. to, they need to stop being abused by their partner. They need to, all kinds of things that I just, I don't have an herb for. Right. <laughs> I remember when I was training as a medical student and I was on my pediatrics rotation, there was a single mom and she had five kids and the one son, um, uh, had a really large tonsils and it was giving him sleep apnea. Hmm. And I remember the doctors um, just getting on her, you know, that Mm -hmm. why aren't you taking care of this? Why aren't you taking care of this? And it got to the point where they threatened to call Child Protective Services. Mm -hmm. And I I remember thinking, wait a minute, let's let's not ignore the fact that this is a single mother with five children. She's not doing this intentionally, you know? Um, So so that, you know, factors like that have to be taken into consideration. and it's like, you know, she, she obviously needs support and that needs to be addressed. Um, so, uh, you know, they were like, oh, she needs to just take a day off of work. And it's like, maybe she right. can't. Yeah. <laughs> She's supposed to so, do that. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, it, it, sometimes I feel like there's also um, a disparity, like a, a socioeconomic disparity in terms of you know, who attends medical school and then the the patients they end up treating. And there's not an understanding of of each other's worlds. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, that that was a big, big factor um, as well. But yeah, I mean, osteopathy was great because you you were taught to take all these different factors into consideration. Mm. So how did that lead you in the direction of working with cannabis? Oh, gosh. Okay, so... So we're going to go back here, right, uh, in terms of uh, my background. So, I, you know, as you know, you know one of my family members. Yes, I do. Um, uh, I come from an immigrant family, right, um, mm-hmm. and blue collar to the bone. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in um, Jersey City, New Jersey, which was, you know, a community of uh, low to middle class immigrants, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I would say I got lucky. And I got lucky in the sense that by the age of 12, my parents had moved out to a town called Chatham, New Jersey. And this was a very, very affluent suburb. And as we know, the education, there are a lot of disparities in education based on the community that you live in. And so this was the reason their main uh, drive in moving to this community so that my brother and I could get access to the best education. This was the number one ranking high school in New Jersey. I think it still is. Um, and I consider that a privilege because it was my parents who worked hard. And because of that, I then had access to the best resource, right? Nice. And yeah. so, 
along the way, you know, going through through middle school, through high school, through college, um, it, it, this was something that that really, you know, uh, touched me in a way. And and it was like, okay, well, how do I take this privilege and use it to do good in the world? Because growing up, my father always said, use your work to do good in the world. And so um, that's how, you know, my reasoning for becoming a physician. Now, particularly, I chose to become an emergency physician because in the United States, we have laws where it, specifically in the emergency room, the a, a patient's ability to pay is not taken into consideration in terms of the treatment that you provide. And I love that. In, in, in other fields of medicine, that is not the case. I have seen doctors not take cases because they don't have the right insurance, right? Or, or you know, they're not going to get um, compensated like how they would like to get compensated. That's not the case in the emergency room. And I love that. The only thing is, is that while I was training, here's what I found. Most of what you treat in the emergency room is pain. So people come in with head pain, with stomach pain, with back pain. Mm -hmm. And my job, our job as, as emergency room doctors is to rule out the emergent cause. And if there is no emergent cause, then you, you typically give the patient a prescription for pain medications to hold them over until they can see their primary care doctor. Now, if they have one, what, what, yes, if they have one. Now, what was happening was that a lot of these patients were coming back to the emergency room and saying that these medications weren't working, they were getting side effects from them. And then I was in the unfortunate position of having to resuscitate patients who had overdosed on these medications. And so, you know, I wanted, I, I got into medicine to, to help people solve problems. And I wasn't really solving problems. In fact, I was a part of the problem <laughs> because I was the one handing out these prescriptions. It was almost like standing at a revolving door. And on the one hand, I'm handing out the prescriptions. And on the other hand, these patients are coming back in, you know, with these complaints that it's not working, that it's giving them side effects, or I'm having to resuscitate them. So, um, uh, so at, you know, at that point, I was also, I had turned into insomniac because I was working like eight and a hundred hours a week. And, you know, there, there were times when I was not awake enough to be productive, but I was so wired, I couldn't sleep, right? Yeah. So you're kind of like just schlepping around at that point. And yeah. so I was surfing the internet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so um, I happened, I, I actually am a, I never quite gave up on my dumpster diving ways from college. <laughs> and really dumpster diving on Craigslist. I still do. I am impressed. Um, it, there are some gems you can find on there. Um, and so I happened to click on uh, over to the side. They have a jobs tab. And I happened to click on health and medical and, section. And I happened on an ad that said medical marijuana doctor needed. So I got really curious. I was like, what the heck is this? I haven't ever, you know, heard of anything like this before. Um, so I started to, to, to dig into it. You know, I, I, you know, one thing to another, you know, how you kind of get, get into that rabbit hole. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> I spent about a year digging into the research on marijuana. Uh, uh, basically I, I hung out on this website called pubmed.org. Right. Oh, yeah. Yep. Love that and, website. Yep. Right. Back the database that the that the government houses uh, where the government houses all all sorts of medical studies from all mm -hmm. over the world. And, and at some point, I was convinced, I was compelled that you know what, I feel like medical marijuana is a much better solution to manage chronic pain than opioids. Oh yeah. So. So basically, you know, once you, you can have the knowledge as a doctor, but what you really need is the experience. Yes. That was, that's what makes you a solid clinician. So I decided that I'm going to work at a medical marijuana clinic at that point. And this was back in 2012. <laughs> and here we are, 2019. And there's, you know, I don't think there's any turning back at this point. <laughs> what state were you in? I was in Pennsylvania where I did my training and I um, came out to California to work at a medical marijuana clinic. What I liked about the laws in California is that, I mean, quite frankly, they had a lot of loopholes, but <laughs> it worked to my advantage as a physician because it gave me a lot of liberty to treat my patients. 
I had no list of, of, you know, highly specified medical conditions for which, you know, I could prescribe, I could prescribe for anything in California, because that's how the law was written. Um, and patients didn't have to register with the state, which is the case in a lot of, nice. uh, a lot of states yeah. right, right now. That so, is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And so that protected physicians, patients' privacy um, uh, to a large extent. So they could come to my office. I can evaluate them. And, you know, it was my job to evaluate whether or not the patient would benefit from um, uh, from medical cannabis. Which and is then, how it should be. <laughs> right. So typically what happens in those states is that there's a list. I don't know who the list is created by. It, you know, yeah. some someone, someone somewhere created a list the government. And, and then the physicians can only recommend uh, medical marijuana for those conditions. And then the patient also has to register. Um, there's a registry that most states have. In California, it's, it, it was voluntary up until marijuana got legalized for recreational use. It, it's, it's, you know, it was voluntary. Now you don't even have to, you, you don't need a physician's recommendation. You can just walk into a dispensary there. Yeah. So that was my story. And now I actually um, have transitioned to an online practice and working. I'm working with people all over the world now, which feels amazing. That has got to be really exciting. I mean, that you've, you've yes. spread so far, you know? Yeah, it does feel amazing, but I still feel like I have a long way to go. I mean, here's the thing. This is the plant that you can grow in your backyard. Mm-hmm. Right. So imagine in developing countries, you know, I remember I I worked at a government hospital in India. I did a rotation there. And I remember there was this man who brought his daughter in to the emergency room. And the way it works there is that, um, you know, it was a government hospital, but people it was only subsidized. There were no free services. It was all subsidized services. So these people still had to pay a certain amount. And also, they had to purchase their own medications. So they had to come to the hospital with the medication, or the doctor would tell them what medication to get, and then they would go to the pharmacy and go get it. But this poor man, this family, uh, he walked six miles to his house, to his community, and back, and he couldn't find, he didn't have the money himself. I guess he must have asked the people in his community for money. You know, nobody gave it to him. So he came back empty-handed. And finally, the doctor gave him money for the medication, and then he went and got it. But can you imagine if someone's struggling with pain in a developing country to have a plant in your backyard and have access to that as medicine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that is my ultimate goal is to is to make this medicine accessible and affordable to people even in developing countries. And because it's it's a medicine that comes straight from a plant, um, I think that's very possible to do. Yeah, it's not. I mean, cannabis really is not that hard to grow. Ultimately, it wants to grow. Mm-hmm. Well, it is. You know. The nickname is weed. Yeah, it's weed for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and the other thing is, is that, um, you know, a lot of these people um, in developing countries, they're very much uh, uh, in, in tune and in touch with nature. They're good at farming. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. you know, they're, they're probably better at it than, you know, city slickers out here in developed countries. Right. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's the goal. So I have come far, but I feel like there's so many more lives that I can touch. Nice. Yeah. So out here, at least, and I think probably nationwide, at least, um, we've been hearing a lot about CBD. Everybody's on about CBD. CBD is like the next panacea. It's better than medical marijuana. It's better than, and everyone's vilifying THC, except for the people that really like to get high. And they're all saying CBD is great, but you have to have THC. And then there's this CBD isolate thing and, you know, where where are you on all of that? Because I know when you got started, CBD wasn't like a no, thing. No, it wasn't. So here's, <laughs> here's how I'm going to explain it to you. It depends on the medical condition, okay? Mm-hmm. There are some conditions that benefit by, uh, by high amounts of CBD. There are some conditions that benefit by high amounts of THC. And then there's conditions that need both, okay? So the most common conditions that benefit from high amounts of CBD include things like migraines and headaches, muscle pain, 
nerve pain, and it's typically mild to moderate nerve pain. Insomnia, again, mild to moderate insomnia and anxiety. When it comes to um, uh, conditions that benefit from high amounts of THC, we're talking about things like nausea, vomiting, lack of appetite, uh, severe nerve pain, severe insomnia. So it really depends on the condition, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I think honest, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I think a lot of it is hype and marketing because it's been, it's been, um, uh, legalized where it's accessible to anybody, anyone and any, and everyone is, is, is sort of talking about it, but I feel like they're doing it to meet their bottom line. They're not doing yeah. it for the benefit of the patient. You know, and I also, I get, as a physician, I get really concerned when people make claims that, you know, either CBD or THC, they, that they cure things like cancer, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. so what ends up happening is that a, a, a lot of these people, you know, they'll, they'll go online and, you know, Anybody can say anything on the internet. There's no bar- barrier to entry. Right. And so uh, you have people, you know, writing stories that, oh, yeah, it cured my cancer. But then they put all their hopes on that, right. that this is it. this is going to cure my cancer. And they completely forego conventional medicine when, in That's fact, bad. for certain types of cancer, um, uh, there are very, very uh, high chances of putting a cancer into remission, um, mm-hmm. uh, because you know these cancer very, cancers are very common. It's been it's been very intensely studied. Um, the, the treatment is highly targeted, so it minimizes side effects. There's sort of this, um, uh, you know, uh, just um, I don't know how to explain it, but like you know, when people think of um, uh, cancer and and chemotherapy, it's very dire. When it's not always the case, mm-hmm. right? It, it's not always dire. Um, that you know, so some cancers uh, ha- have, like I said, a very high chance of remission. The the, the, the treatment isn't um, like they show it is in the movies. Right. So, um, so, so that's what I would say. I and I would. It's being touted as a cure all. Mm-hmm. It's not. For certain conditions, it works great. It works better than pharmaceuticals. But for other conditions, I've seen it not work. Sure. So, so that's what I would tell you. Well, I think it's a red flag for anybody when they see one thing saying it will cure cancer as if cancer is one thing. Right. And as you've already mentioned, there are many different types and, and they respond completely differently. So if people can learn how to look for red flags, I think that will help them out as well. Yeah. Well, well and I, I think that the whole body approach is important to keep in mind. So even if CBD or THC or any derivative thereof is a part of your treatment plan. It needs to be just one part of it. Right. And the other parts may need to include and probably do need to include some allopathic types of treatments. They also might need to include some spiritual types of treatments like prayer or whatever is appropriate for your religion and culture. Yeah. Exercise stretching. The THC is fabulous for working with nausea. That doesn't mean that it's fixing the cancer that's making you nauseous or the key, you know, yeah. instead of the chemo. And a lot of people right. just don't seem to have a concept of how that works. So do you, what about the, the blends of CBD, THC, the conditions <laughs> that you find that are helpful? Yeah, the blends are typically um, great for autoimmune conditions. Um, and that's because these the THC and the CBD individually have anti-inflammatory properties, but when brought together, they work what's called synergistically. So one chemical will enhance the effect of the other chemical and vice versa. So you get an even, even greater anti-inflammatory effect. So it's very effective for conditions like psoriasis, Crohn's disease, rheumatoid arthritis. All these conditions are autoimmune conditions. <sighs> So, um, so helps, helps with symptoms of those conditions as well. That makes sense. And then I've also heard of CBD isolates. Yeah. So let's talk about this. Um, uh, oftentimes CBD isolates will be referred to as pure CBD, right? That's, right. that's sort of the marketing term that goes behind it. Now, what is a CBD isolate? Okay. So basically an isolate CBD is when just the CBD is extracted from um, from the hemp plant, okay? Now, 
how is it is it that yeah. just the CBD is extracted? Yeah, that's okay? what I was about to ask. How do they yeah, do that? It's through <laughs> a series of chemical processes. It's not that there are strains, but they're working on it right now where it, 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 it grows 0% THC. It, you're not, this isn't, you know, a plant that has no THC. Right. Most plants, as it stands, grow some amount of THC, right. produce, sorry, some amount of THC. Um, and some amount of, of CBD, but basically you, they're using a series of chemical processes um, to extract just the CBD. Now, the types of chemicals that they're using are things like hexane, mm-hmm. pentane. Um, there's a whole list of chemicals, and I have a video on my YouTube channel that in detail goes through exactly what the process is like and the chemicals that are that they're using. Now, here's the danger with isolate CBD oils. You don't know how much uh, uh, these, uh, how much of these chemicals get left behind as residues. Yeah. And if they're above a certain cutoff, right, where they're now toxic, you're doing your body more harm than good. Yeah. Especially so for patients that are so fragile. Into- right. Exactly. So, um, so that's the thing with, with isolate CBDs. A lot of people think, oh, it's just a CBD. I don't have to worry about the THC. I don't have to worry about getting high off of it, or I don't have to worry when I get drug tested, but how is it made and what's used to make it? It's, it's a lot of different chemicals. And actually this information is very hard to find. Um, a lot of companies will tell, oh, well, it's, you know, you ask them how they make their isolate CBD oils and they'll say, oh, well, it's a proprietary process. We can't talk about it. Right. So what I did was <laughs> I went to um, uh, to Google, and Google um, makes available patents. Okay. Nice. So I yeah, went yeah. through a lot of these different patents, and I figured out. Okay, so there's there's similarities in terms of processes, right? And so there are two patents that I go through in this YouTube video that I'm telling you about, and 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 I walk you through the process that they that they use and the chemicals that they use. Um, and so, you know, just cause it's a proprietary process, there may be some, there's something to hide there. That's why they're calling it proprietary. Right. Right. So do you, what about, uh, this thing where I've heard people use a colloquialism of, well, it's from hemp, therefore it has no THC in it. It's, it's going to have THC in it, yeah. right? It's not going to have no THC in it. So by the law, the difference between hemp and marijuana is the amount of THC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the, 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 the amount is 0.3%. So less than 0.3% THC is considered hemp, and more than 0.3% THC is considered, by default then, marijuana. Okay? So it, 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 when you have what's called, when no chemical, process, chemical processes are used, to extract the cannabinoids, then you're going to get, in all likelihood, some amount of THC. It could be very negligible amounts, but you're still going to get some amount of THC. I have recently, I was doing, listening to a webinar, I think it was through Gaia Herbs, and I cannot remember the name of the doctor that was talking, but he was talking about the difference between, in terms of, um, Med- CBD isolates and the ones that he was talking about were ones that had been tested for purity, probably by Gaia Herbs. I don't remember. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other, that versus um, CBD whole plant extractions where the emphasis is on the CBD, the THC is there, but it's a very small percentage. And what he said pretty much was that the CBD with the whole plant CBD oils and extractions that they that he saw in the studies he was reading were far more effective than the isolate was, even though the isolates they were talking about were ones that had been tested for to make sure that none of the hexanes or any of the other chemicals were in there. So, okay. So I recently wrote a book and so I've done, I did research over the summer. Now there's only one study as far as I know that looked into uh, the differences between uh, isolate CBD and full extract CBD. And that was in mice and in rats. Um, and yes, in that particular case, they did find the, the full extract essentially to be more effective than the isolate CBD. And I talk about this in, in depth in the book. But um, beyond that, as far as I know, there haven't been any other studies that have been done. 
Um, but again, you know, ultimately it comes down to which chemical is, is your uh, condition going to benefit by, right. right? If it's, if it's a condition that needs high CBD, then, you know, the amount of THC is not going to really matter. Um, uh, well, it's going to matter in that you want it to be very little, but you know, whether it's 0.3% or 0.06%, it, it's not going to really make a difference because the amount of CBD is so much higher proportionately. Right. Um, does that, does that part of it make sense? It does make sense. I'm wondering, have you noticed in, with the clients or the patients that you've worked with, have you noticed that the whole plant versus isolate really makes a huge difference? Well, okay. So first of all, um, what, what sort of where you want to begin is, are people even buying products that have CBD in them? (laughs) That's that's the conversation I was having with my patients when they were buying stuff off of Amazon. It's like, okay, well, does this, because they would come to me, they'd bring the products, the CBD oils, and they'd be like, this isn't working. Um, and so, you know, that was a question that I would have. So first and foremost, you want to make sure that the product actually has CBD in it. And the only objective way to know that is through laboratory testing and laboratory testing for that specific batch. So you, whoever you buy from, you know, the first question that should come out of your mouth is where's the laboratory testing for this particular batch that the CBD oil was made from. That's what you want to ask and make sure it actually has CBD in it. And then the next thing is, well, so let's talk about this. There's a whole um, uh, uh, series of questions I would say you need to ask when you're trying to find the best CBD oil out there, right? So one is, is there actually CBD oil or CBD in the CBD oil? But then the next thing is, how much CBD is in the CBD oil? On Mm -hmm. average, what you find on the market is anywhere from 250 milligrams to 1,000 milligrams. Hmm. of CBD in, in a one ounce bottle. So that's a huge range, right? Yeah. And sometimes you can find more, sometimes you can find less, but that that's an average. So that's one thing, right? Now, in terms of what strength you need, that's going to depend on the severity of your condition. Hmm. Um, uh, the next thing is, is that you want to check to make sure that the amount of THC is less than that 0.3% because a lot of patients would come to me and say, Hey, you know, even though this is CBD oil, I'm getting high off of the THC and I don't really want to get high off of it. So, you know, if you're somebody that benefits from, uh, has a condition that benefits from high amounts of CBD, you want to make sure the amounts of THC are less than 0.3%. Um, the next thing is uh, testing for fungus and bacteria. And this is especially important for patients who have compromised immune systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're talking about patients who've had organ transplants and are on immunosuppressants, people who, are, who have autoimmune conditions and are on immunosuppressants, people who've undergone um, uh, or, or who are undergoing chemotherapy, okay? Um, and then also, you know, patients who have a history of HIV AIDS. They have, all have compromised immune systems. And so they're more prone to getting sick from, from bugs that are found on, on hemp. And, and, you know, hemp, just like romaine, can grow oh, yeah. E. coli and salmonella. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then specifically for people with compromised immune systems, what you want to watch out for are things like pseudomonas and aspergillus, which is a fungus. Um, the, the people with compromised immune systems are more prone to getting sick from these bugs. Next thing, pesticides. It's not a regulated industry. So people can use whatever the heck they want to keep the, the, the bugs and the critters off the plant. And so you want to make sure that it's been tested for as many pesticides as possible, but two in particular, especially biphenazate and microbutanol, because these are the most two most common pesticides that are used on hemp. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number three, heavy metals. Okay. So the mm-hmm. entire cannabis family of plants are known as bioaccumulators yeah. and or actually I think we're on to number four, heavy metals. Yeah. So they're uh, bioaccumulators. So basically they soak up the heavy metals in their environment, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure it's been tested for, for heavy metals, specifically arsenic, lead, cadmium, and mercury. Yep. Okay. And then finally, <laughs> residual solvents. So I touched on this a little bit with the isolate CBD oils, but just any um, CBD oil, you want to make sure that, <clears throat> first of all, a safe solvent was used to make the CBD oil. And the safe solvents on the market are carbon dioxide, and ethanol, which is alcohol, the unsafe solvents, again, I mentioned them before, are things are basically, they fall under the category of hydrocarbons. So again, we're talking about things like hexane, butane, propane, right? So propane is what's used to fire up your barbecue grill, 
Butane is what's in lighter fluid. Hexane is made, you know, is used to make things like glue, right? You certainly don't want uh, uh, toxic levels of these chemicals left behind. And then, you know, again, you're doing your body more harm than good. So these are the five basic questions that you would ask, which all starts with the fundamental foundation of having laboratory testing done, preferably Mm -hmm. That laboratory testing is done at a at a third party state licensed lab. Okay, and mm-hmm. I would say at this point there are face. I would say there's three states that are doing a decent job of regulating hemp production: Colorado, I would say Kentucky, and North Carolina mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, we've had a lot of scandals in Oregon. Yeah, in the, in the labs <laughs> and other yeah. other people. Um, one of the other things that people keep seem to forget is that just because it says says it's organic doesn't mean it doesn't have a whole no. bunch of chemicals in there. Yeah. Just because they say yeah. organic doesn't mean it actually is. That, and it doesn't mean that's organic because yeah. that's right. not being regulated either. Yeah. Now the thing is, is that, is that in 2016, the USDA did say that hemp can be certified organic, but here's the interesting thing. Over the summer when I was working on creating my own line of CBD oil, here's what happened. Um, I went to a grower and one of my things was, I'm not buying this, you know, I mean, it's not being bottled up until I like thoroughly examine the laboratory test results with like a fine tooth comb, you know? Right. So I got, he gave, you know, the, the, the grower gave me a certificate that said that it's USDA certified organic, but I also had it tested for pesticides and the levels of mycobutanol were like off the charts. Mm-hmm. So... Don't go. I I always say don't buy into the labeling, the marketing, the hype. Always use an objective measure to buy these products. Because here's the thing, like I said before, it's an unregulated industry. So really, um, the burden falls on the consumer to make sure that, you know, that they know exactly what they're putting in their body. Right. Yeah. And don't be afraid to pay more for that quality product because it does make a difference when you're sick. Don't Mm -hmm. be afraid to ask. Do mm-hmm. not be afraid to ask. These are questions that the sellers of these CBD oil products are getting all the time because consumers are now becoming more aware. Um, I know that a lot of news channels, um, actually even Dr. Oz did uh, an undercover investigation and they found you know, high levels of residual solvents. They found uh, uh, high levels of heavy metals, of pesticides um, in these products. So you know, yeah, you're turning to this under, uh, under thinking that, okay, it's, it's a natural medicine, <laughs> but then yet, you know, you're finding all these toxic chemicals in there. Right. So there are certainly good products out there. Just, you know, ask for the laboratory test results. And, and there's a lot of companies who do their work with integrity and they will be more than happy to provide the laboratory test results to you. Right. And, you know, in all honesty, if you live in a state where, you have access to growers and that sort of thing. You can always make your own extractions. You right. can you can source the bud yourself. At least then you can visually see what you're working with. You know everything after you bring it home, what's happening. And you can contact the grower and make sure that they're doing, not using pesticides, that they're growing it in a way that is going to be the healthy way. Mm-hmm. So that is, a, and for at least in the state of Oregon, that's an option. And we can grow our yeah. own. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, yeah. a friend of mine grow, genuinely grows things organically. And he was asking another person who said they were growing organically. Like, I don't understand how you can grow so cheaply. And the person said, oh, we just grow with all of the pesticides and chemicals. And then we just flush it at the end and call it organic. No one will know. Oh, God. Right. There you go. And this is Oregon where marijuana is legal. For, I don't know if they, they um, regulate the, produ- the cultivation of hemp, but I know that they have to regulate the production of marijuana. Um, and it's a state where it, it's, you know, uh, legalized for recreational use. So it's more regulated. Yeah. Um, and there's more, you know, government mandates when it comes to things like laboratory testing and whatnot. So, you know, it's it's an industry in its infancy, and there's yeah. still, um, I think, you know, a lot of it is still, you know, hands-off from the perspective of the government, I and mean, they're learning right. right now, unfortunately, at the expense of the consumer, right? right? But right. it's, you know, there's the learning. Well, I am 
I, I know that our listeners are going to be intrigued and they're going to have a thousand more questions. <laughs> and I know that you've written a book. So tell us about your book real quick. Um, sure. So I have written a book on CBD oil. It actually just came out a couple of weeks ago. It's called The CBD Oil Solution. And it's available on Amazon. Um, it's also on Target.com and, Barn- and it's available at Barnes & Noble. Um, and basically wherever books are sold. And um, uh, I would say, you know, if you're looking for more information, start with that. And then you have then a YouTube channel. You have a YouTube yeah. channel, right? Yeah, yeah. There's information on my YouTube channel. You can just Google um, uh, Dr. Patel um, CBD oil or Dr. Patel medical marijuana plus YouTube. And my channel will show right up on the first page of Google search results. We'll make sure that um, we yeah. have those links on our on our uh, show notes so that it's easier for people to find you. Yeah. Um, and then I also have a Facebook group where I'm always answering questions live. I go in about, you know, once every week or once every two weeks. And, um, you know, I'm answering questions that people have there. So yeah. people and- can get to that by going to facebook.com backslash groups backslash ask the CBD expert. Nice. Is that the name of your website? That's the name of the Facebook group. And then my website is just drrachnapatel.com. Okay. Wow. Well, and I have to say that I I think we might put it out there. If you're willing, I'm going to put you on the spot right here and now and say, will you come back and do another show? Maybe a Q and a for us. I would love to. I would love to. And I think I'm going to tell our listeners Write, a, send your questions, send your comments, send them to Candice at the practical herbalist.com and I will compile them and we will bring Dr. Rachna Patel right back. Right back. Right back. <laughs> right back. We can, we, can we, can put put a, we can put a form, we can put a form on our, um, Ooh, that's even better on, on that, on our show notes page and promote that on Facebook. Yeah. And then I can, that's even better. Show. Yeah. So yeah, send us your questions and we will put them all together and we'll have Dr. Patel back to answer your CBD and THC and cannabis and marijuana questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for being with us. I really appreciate your time here, uh, Dr. Patel, and we look forward to having you back. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. And all, as always... Put an herb Statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliate websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. All Always consult a healthcare professional before starting any new vitamin supplements diet or exercise program before taking any medication.